Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Reaction now to Premier Pallister's reopening plan from earlier today. Sean Jeffrey, the executive director of the Manitoba Restaurant Association, joins us on the phone now. Sean, good afternoon. Afternoon, Al. How are you? I'm good. Um, so restaurants are part of phase one of this uh, multi-phased reopening plan the Premier talked about. Um, but I suspect you may not be completely happy, maybe even unhappy. You tell me, but restaurants uh, can now do business uh, walk-up and on the patio. Am I understanding that correctly? Uh, that's correct, yeah. You'll be able to uh, partake uh, of business on your patio and take advantage of walk-up services, so such in malls and so forth. And, yeah, uh, so got- no dining in a restaurant yet. No, unfortunately not. And the reality is, is that with the patio, uh, the the loosening of the patio services uh, in restaurants, it only benefits a small portion of restaurants that actually have a patio, uh, A, that's open, or B, that actually has enough room to respect the social distancing guidelines. So um, overall, it's uh, the beneficial aspect to restaurants in general is quite low. And here's what I'm, uh, my first thought when I read that was, well, what's the difference between putting people on a patio or putting them in a dining room if you practice the measures of, you know, social distancing and all that stuff? What's the difference? Absolutely. And uh, we've been working diligently uh, with our membership and with the government to uh, to uh, create uh, reopening protocols. And uh, our, uh, our industry was one of the first to self-close. So the attention to towards social distancing and making sure that our patrons and staff safe has always been a top of mind. Um, but uh, there's a lot of restaurants out there that are suffering, and every day they're more and more getting closer to that uh, their ultimate demise. So we need to ensure that you know um, our our industry is is safe for the future. So um, a lot of restaurants again are not able to partake in this because they don't have a patio, um, or their patio is just not uh, sufficient enough to be able to respect those social distancing guidelines within that measure itself. So. Well, and the walk-up part of it—that's being done by a lot of a lot of restaurants, anyhow. Um, so, what would you have done then? Would you have allowed restaurants to open up their dining rooms with proper distancing between customers? Is that what you would have done? Well, that that, that would have been our ultimate, uh, you know, our ultimate goal. Would be pre to the emergency closure of restaurants initially. It was that uh, prior to that we were able to operate at fifty percent of our capacity or fifty maximum within the actual guidelines, and just getting back to that. Uh, the reality is that you can go up to a food court uh, tenant in a you know a restaurant in a food court and get dinner, but you can't go next door to that dining in restaurant and, and partake in that same situation. So um, we would have really uh, we really would have hoped to uh, to have that ability to be able to to open up and then respect those those social distancing guidelines that we've uh, we've already got measures in place for. So um, that would have been our ultimate goal. Now, uh, dining in a restaurant is part of Premier Pallister's Phase 2, but that will happen no earlier than June 1st. So talk to me about that. Another month, at least, uh, before restaurants can have dine-in service and kind of get back to some form of new normal uh, for them, Um, how -hmm. bad is it for some restaurants out there? possibly another month before they can start generating income again, uh, more like what yeah. they're used to. And then and then who knows? People may not uh, go to a dining room. Who knows? 
Yeah, you know, the reality is that at, uh, every every month by the end of April, we were looking at anywhere but close to, and this is a national average, of 25% restaurants that wouldn't be able to open uh, their doors again. And another month of that is just going to just add that additional uh, change to our industry the way it has been in the past. So um, we, uh, you know, every day that these restaurants stay closed, those employees, they go and look, find work elsewhere. And the restaurant industry is very hard to attract employees to. Um, and then on top of that, you have another month with, uh, you know, with very limited uh, resources uh, that that renter's got to pay taxes and business taxes and, and uh, electricity and their rent. And, you know, it's just another month before they're going to be able to get back to any sort of new normal with uh, with any sort of revenue streams. And some restaurants are benefiting from takeout and delivery, but it's a break-even situation right now, especially trying to staff it accordingly. So, um, you know, we just uh, really need to... Uh, to really focus on trying to get back to uh, to making sure that our industry is viable again. And, uh, you know, I mean, takeout, yes, there are uh, restaurants that are, are doing some business that way, but there's also a cost involved to that, right? So does it become a wash? And by the way, I don't know if you know that you probably do, Sean. Today is Canada Takeout Day. It's uh, I know uh, Peter Janaka sent me an email and said 20% off today to celebrate curbside or takeout at, at Pony Corral, so it's the right day to order takeout. Yes, it is. Get out there and support your favorite restaurant. It absolutely is. But uh, the reality is, with uh, takeout and delivery, it's just a it's just a slow you know it's a slow revenue stream compared to what you know we've used to. And you know, got mm-hmm. restaurants operating on twenty percent of what the revenue they were doing prior to to COVID nineteen. So um, no business can continue to stay viable at twenty percent of the revenue stream for very long. So um, we're just hoping that uh, we get back to a new normal as soon as possible. Well, um, I see a lot of the hashtag uh, rally for restaurants. I'm a, a big foodie. I'm I'm supporting the restaurant tours out there, uh, but it's uh, it's you. tough and it doesn't. It's not going to get any easier or much easier uh, for at least another month. Sean, thanks a lot for this. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I'll take care. My friend Tracy Garbett joins us now from CNIB. Tracy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. I missed it. Cam Poitras, my producer, said to me, Hal, it's International Guide Dog Day. He actually noticed this yesterday, that today is International Guide Dog Day, and he got a hold of you, and I'm glad you're able to join us. Hey, tell us about this event coming up. I love the name, Pup Crawl, P-U-P, Crawl, and uh, it's coming up, and and people can help out. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we started off just initially just to kind of have some fun while people practiced, you know, practices uh, social distancing and all that. But it's just a virtual 5K walk. If you want to walk in your yard, your kitchen, your balcony, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But, um, you know, it's also to um, raise funds for our guide dog program right now that, you know, we're all, you know, all charities are are struggling right now and um, we're not exempt from that. Yeah, it's in, and we've got later on an interview uh, with Stars, with the Stars Foundation, uh, as part of our CJOB Give Back Initiative, which people can find out more about at cjob.com. But uh, organizations like CNIB and like the Stars Foundation, they normally help others. Right now, they need our help, and so this is our little way of trying to lend a hand here at CJOB. So hopefully people take part in the pup crawl and uh, raising money for an important cause. Jeff Courier had a blind gentleman on his show today. I don't know if you heard it or not, Tracy, talking about some of the challenges uh, that people like you face out there with your guide dogs and with your white canes. Um, Tell tell me a little bit about how life has been for you during this pandemic. 
Yeah, it's definitely more difficult because um, my dog knows to take me around people, but um, she hasn't picked up the social distancing yet. We still have to work on that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it makes it more difficult because um, I don't know if people are coming or not. So typically uh, I'm with my kids and... uh, um, and things like that because I can't tell where people are. And it's really crucial if people are coming toward us or from behind us, they can say, oh, coming behind you on your right and uh, taking that wide sweep around us or in front. Because a lot of people, too, if they're traveling in with a white cane, uh, it can throw their mobility and um, their line of travel off. So it's really crucial to kind of warn them so they don't have to try to move out of the way. Yeah, I've uh, said a couple times that I want people to call in 204-780-6868 to tell me if they're going to take advantage of some of the loosening of restrictions on Monday. What about you, Tracy? Are you going to go get your your hair cut or your hair dyed, or or is there anything you (laughs) haven't been able to do that you're looking forward to being able to do on Monday? Uh, Well, you know what? I I could use a haircut. I don't have a lot left, but... um, um, I think I'm going to wait a little longer. I'm going to see how things start off and uh, just see how things really kind of run what, um, as long as people are still practicing the distancing and, and just see how control is kind of maintained in, in these places as well. Yeah, better safe than sorry. I think a lot of people are going to take that approach. We've put so much effort into it, or most people have put so much effort into this. And while I think we have to start reopening things, we have to start loosening these restrictions, um, I think a lot of people are going to be nervous about that that kickback. You know, a lot of people are talking about we've had low numbers, we want them to stay low, but obviously the province health officials would be watching that very closely. Yeah, we can't have it rebound. And, you know, I'm, I mean, they're still talking about that second wave. So if we can, again, it's, it's slowing it down and preventing it later, Manitobans will be much better off. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm glad you're good. I'm glad you're well. And, uh, again, just to remind people about the CNIB pup crawl, how do they take part? Where can they go to get signed up for that? Yeah, go to cnib.ca slash pupcrawl. It'll bring you to a link how to register. It's uh, $30, and um, you'll get a virtual uh, bib mailed out to you, all those kind of things, and that way uh, everybody can participate. I can hear your girl barking in the background there. <laughs> that would be my other two goal. My my guide dog doesn't bark. Those are my two crazy golden noodles. <laughs> Oh, no, that's interesting. So the guide dog does not bark. No, she doesn't buy into those crazy ones. Um, they're they're lovable, fun dogs, but they can be noisy. But uh, Marion, my guide dog, she yeah. really doesn't buy into them, and um, she'll kind of see what they're up to, but she won't add to it. Yeah. Hey, pal, uh, stay safe. We'll talk soon, okay? All right. Thanks, Al. Take care. Tracy Garbett at CNIB. Again, that pup crawl is coming up. International Guide Dog Day. So if you want to help Tracy and others like Tracy out, um, good day to do it. International Guide Dog Day and that pup crawl with the CNIB is coming up. I want to get Rudy Reimer on, the owner of Watersong Farms uh, down in the Warren area. Rudy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks a lot for doing this. I was on Twitter the other day, and I saw a tweet that you put out. Tell us, uh, first of all, about Watersong Farms. You've got a bit of a meat processing operation down there that you don't use 
full-time, and uh, apparently there's some interest from others. Uh, farmers that are having a hard time moving their livestock, they may use it and and uh, be able to sell their product instead of euthanizing it. Tell me about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, we, uh, we're farmers ourselves. We're livestock producers, but a little bit different uh, as far as what we produce. We produce actually uh, steelhead trout or steelhead salmon here on a, in a land-based system, and we also produce chickens. Uh, we do uh, have a meat shop on site, uh, so we are fortunate that we can do our own processing of our own animals, but, um, and we are permitted and licensed to do other uh, animals as well, like beef and pork. Not something that we've uh, really gone into in a, in a large way because, uh, you know, when things are good uh, for the, uh, the rest of the sector, um, it's hard to, for a small operation to compete with the big processors. Now what's happening, though, is with the, the larger processors not being able to take product. Uh, you know, of course, now there's a demand to go back to the small producers or processors, uh, specifically, uh, hopefully, to give some of the uh, you know farmers an option to perhaps get at least some of their animals processed and sell them directly to consumers. Otherwise, uh, yes, we have already heard um, that there are farmers willing to basically give away animals. Otherwise, uh, they're going to have to uh, euthanize them. And that's something that uh, nobody really wants to see, you know, after all the uh, effort and uh, that's been put into raising the animals to have them go to waste. Yeah, and it's been a couple of days since I saw your tweet, and at that point it was getting quite a bit of, uh, of action. Uh, you've had some interest from, from farmers, have you? Well, lots of interest as far as everybody thinks it's a great idea. And, uh, you know, yes, and I was quite surprised that uh, the response I got from that tweet as well. It's, you know, I've never had anything like that happen before, as that many people in support now Support is, I think, a lot of it is coming from the beef and pork producers saying, yes, this is a good idea. Uh, so far, I don't have anybody really that's uh, saying, yeah, I want to help or take advantage of this situation, <laughs> you know, as far as <laughs> running the butcher shop for you. Um, and that's kind of what we're, uh, what we were trying to say was, you know, uh, here's an opportunity. We have a facility that's not being utilized by us full time. There is there is capacity there to process other animals in that uh, shop, uh, but uh, I'd rather give somebody else, you know, especially a younger person, the opportunity that's been looking into to get into that market to, you know, come in, use a facility instead of investing into, you know, trying to do anything like this in, uh, from start. Uh, here's an opportunity, a prime opportunity, I guess, as far as, you know, at this point there'll be lots of, uh, I think there'll be lots of customers. Now the question becomes down the road with when all this COVID thing eventually passes, will the trend that we're now seeing where where consumers are willing to purchase larger quantities of proteins and then uh, like and then freeze them and then and and uh, store them, uh, will that continue on later on when things kind of go back to so-called normal, or will they be then going back to what they've been trained to do by the retailers as going to the store? Uh, several times a week to pick up a product fresh. Right. Well, listen, that person may be out there listening right now. You got a lot of action on your tweet. You'll get a lot of action from this interview, I would suggest. And so if that person is out there that can process that meat in your uh, smaller facility, 
I would encourage them to get hold of Rudy Reimer and his wife, uh, the Reimers at Watersong Farms down in the Warren area. I, I'll be honest with you, Rudy, I've never heard of Watersong Farms. You talked about doing fish and chicken. Tell me a bit about your operation. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit of a well-kept secret, I guess, but really we are, um, so we raise steelhead trout. We're a land-based system, uh, so it means everything is raised indoors. We produce up to 100 tons of uh, steelhead every year. Uh, primarily, why a lot of people have nerd from us is because we sell to um, the uh, large, uh, through distributors to the larger stores, the Safeways and the Sobeys, Co-ops, and all those kind of stores. But that goes through the distributor. So uh, we also do direct marketing. But in that case, it's, you know, some, and, and here's another kind of a, a little bit of a problem with the retail sector has been that they, they're sometimes reluctant to uh, really promote a local producer because they're not always sure if that producer is going to be there on a consistent basis. So they'd rather be able to, you know, jump around and source from other people all they can. So, but we have actually been doing this for now uh, t- uh, 10 years in the fish side, and then uh, on the chicken side, we, we grow and also process our own chickens in the roasting chicken market, and that's now in the second generation. We've been, as a family, been doing it for over 50 years. Hmm. Good for you. And then we, add, um, we added the, sorry, we, uh, we added the butcher shop uh, just a few years because that was the problem at that time, too, is there was no other places to get processing done. Mm-hmm. So we had to do it, or you know, at the uh, invest in that ourselves, and that's something few other farmers can do. So sure. this is again why we're saying, you know, here's something we've already put the money into this. The, the place yeah. is there; it could use more work. Hey, Rudy, good luck with all of it. Thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. And if people want to find out more, they can go to watersongfarms.com. Watersongfarms.com. Rudy Reimer, thank you. You're welcome. Nice talking to you. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.